So you've decided to give up that old behavior that's been killing you and all you care for and surrender to a power greater than yourself. That's the first step. Surrender is what opens the prison door. Now it's time to walk through that door and into a whole new way of life. Spirituality, self-care, service, social connection, and the simple daily disciplines that pave the way to lasting freedom. This is Positive Sobriety. Welcome to another episode of the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Yeah, here we are, I don't know, week two, week three, millennial three, uh, millennium three of the the COVID-19 lockdown. Uh, Life marches on, but we are not deterred. We are still uh, through the magic of the worldwide interweb uh, recording the podcast and we actually have got an opportunity, all kinds of new opportunities for conversations because people are home. Right. We yeah. are all home somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Well, yeah, David, how, how, how are you coping with the new norm? First of all, I've got to ask you about the practice. Uh, you know, you see, uh, you see addicts. Yes. Uh, uh, are, are, is it, has addiction disappeared as an issue during the lockdown? <laughs> you know, yeah. If people just suddenly, you know, with a pandemic, just stop doing all their problematic behaviors. It's <laughs> stop, stop medicating. Nobody's medicating their anxiety at all right now. No, they don't need you. They, they don't need me. Um, yeah, oh my gosh. You know, it's really interesting because this kind of stuff just takes our issues and turns it up to 11. I mean, if, if you take a traumatized culture and um, a fear uh, that is a valid fear, you know, I mean, we talk a lot about our, you know, our, um, our false fears or uh, fears that are not rooted in reality or fact, you know, what, what's a fact and, and what's really just a fear and all that. Well, this is really scary shit. I mean, we're really scared. Yeah, and yeah. Um, and yeah. there's a lot to be fearful about, but yet what can we do about it? And so, you know, to answer your question, I'm still seeing people through telecom conferencing, uh, either Zoom, FaceTime, things like that. Um, they've relaxed the HIPAA restrictions on um, teleconferencing in behavioral health uh, just to accommodate the need for people to continue in their, uh, their right. therapies, which is great. And um, so I'm still seeing people five, six, and seven a day, uh, five days a week through my computer and FaceTime, Zoom, all wow. these uh, ways. And and folks are many are doing well. They're they're able to use their tools, and yet you know there's the inevitable. You're you're you know you're stuck home sometimes with your triggers, you know, right. and uh, so it's yeah it's a it's a big um, shift for a lot of people to be, um, you know, having to having to live without anesthesia. And, and, and many are early in recovery and then this is happening and it's challenging. It's very challenging for many people. So, 
You know, it's interesting that you should bring up fear. Um, I know during my years of active addiction, I was really disconnected from my fear, from my anxiety. Mm-hmm. Uh, I saw fear. Fear had been def- uh, defined for me as something that that a male, a man, should never be afraid. Right. So I didn't see that there was any constructive uh, purpose to fear. At the same time, I was, in the words of the big book, driven by a hundred forms of fear, a fear mm-hmm. that I, I was not consciously connected to, but anxiety really drove my behavior. Right. Um, so now in recovery, uh, we're in the middle of uh, a, a real existential uh, health threat. My wife and I are vulnerable. We're in the, I qualified for a uh, geezer hours at Costco this morning. <laughs> uh, uh. You know, the, the, and they check, they want to see my driver's license. Am I old enough to get in, you know, before yeah. everybody else gets in? Uh, Cut off, I guess, is 60. So I made it in. Yeah. Um, it took me a while I've got to tell you, it took me a while to register that this actually is a threat, that I am not impervious and I'm not immortal. Yeah. Um, it took me a while uh, to begin to actually respect social distancing. Now, I've been doing that for several weeks. Mm-hmm. Um you know, Allie wanted me to, you know, have wipes and then, you know, and to have gloves and all that kind of stuff, which I, it, I was slow coming to the table. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it turns out that if the threat is real, fear is a valuable emotion. Mm-hmm. It gives us the fuel to make the changes, the adjustments to meet the challenge or avoid the challenge to do whatever is, you know, smartest to, to preserve our life. I'm grateful to be um, appropriately fearful now, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. I actually, I actually put on a damn mask today ah. when I walked into Costco. I was that guy, the guy I swore I would never be. Right, right. Uh, but uh, as new information comes out, it appears as though that virus can remain suspended in the air for a while and can perhaps be expelled just by breathing rather than by coughing or sneezing. And uh, I not only have my own health to protect, but that of my wife, who's who's uh, got a decade on me, is even more you know, yeah. vulnerable than I. So uh, I'm grateful to be today. I'm not driven by fear. Right. I'm not living in a constant state of anxiety, and I don't have to medicate my anxiety today, thankfully, right. uh, with a substance or with those most destructive of processes, this, the sex addiction, porn addiction stuff that tore me up for so long. But uh, I am uh, in touch enough with my fear to make you know, some more rational choices and to, to even... A, you know, make myself look stupid by putting a mask on. That was the tough thing. I felt, I felt goofy yeah. putting it on. Yeah, I, I can imagine. And yet, you know, the cost, uh, I mean, why not? You know, um, the cost of not doing it could be possibly, and I know there's, you know, pro and con about all that, but the, the yeah, cost yeah. of not yeah. doing it is certainly greater than the feeling of being conspicuous, you know, so. 
it really helped me that I was not the only one. There were probably about half of the gray-haired people in line had some kind of a mask on. Yeah. So I don't know. My my, you know, I, is it my junior high self that wants to know that I'm not the only guy? And I don't know. It's like it became an acceptable fashion statement this morning at a geezer hour in Costco to have a mask. So there I yeah. Was. Well, I don't blame you. I think err on the side of caution. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh man, uh, it it is going to be interesting, my friend, to see what kind of social changes this experience produces. How do we change as a culture? It is. It is going to be. Uh, and, but you know, it's interesting because, uh, there, there will be a new normal and, um, you know, we're all going to have to play, wait and see on what that looks like. Uh, but, but one of the things, you know, we were talking about earlier, uh, disruption will bring innovative things to the forefront that maybe didn't, wouldn't have happened had we not experienced some of these terrible things. Not that we want to, and not that we want to tell traumatized people, look at the silver lining. However, um, it does force us to think outside the box. And that's a little bit about what our episode today is uh, going to focus on with our guest. Oh, boy. Uh, what a great conversation we're going to have about uh, the opportunities that this, you know, timeout, this suspension of play, mm-hmm. uh, this lockdown period, the threats that it poses to those of us with uh, uh, a str- an addiction story of our own and a propensity and a weakness toward destructive behavior, and the opportunities for those of us who are in recovery and know that uh, life finds purpose for us and uh, recovery gains uh, strength and velocity when we are willing to be of service to others. Yeah. It's going to be, uh, uh, you are really going to want to hear this. Stay with us, listeners. We'll be back in a minute on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And David, you have managed to somehow outdo yourself. You brought a great guest for us this week, somebody who's played a major role in your personal and professional development over the last couple of years. Would you uh, introduce our guest? Yes, I will. And uh, Nate, you know, with all of the uniquenesses right now of uh, everyone's lifestyles, uh, having to be so radically shifted. I thought this would be a great time to have Dr. Jean LaCour join us. I have wanted to have her on the program for a while, but we haven't been able to really um, get everything together. And so this turned out to be a great time. And um, because Dr. Jean is the CEO of Net Institute Center for Addiction and Recovery Education. And uh, the reason that is important is that is the uh, organization through which I got my certification in addiction recovery coaching. And uh, Dr. Jean is a certified professional, uh, prevention professional, uh, who comes from three generations of alcoholism. And she's authored the book Solutions for Codependency, The Path of Wholeness. In 1996, she co-founded the Net Institute Center for Addiction and Recovery Education. And 
It's a nonprofit international training organization specializing in online training programs in counseling, addiction, recovery support services, peer specialist skills, pastoral care, and professional recovery coaching. And she's a sought-after trainer, author, curriculum developer, and an international consultant who has trained in 25 nations, including Egypt, Pakistan, India, Cambodia, Malaysia, and Chile. And as a tireless advocate for people in recovery and for people who serve in the addiction field around the world, she's best known for her enthusiasm and energy, energy in sharing an uplifting message of hope in overcoming the challenges of life with grace and courage. And I can attest to every bit of that bio being true because she's been a great encouragement to me and um, someone who has helped me think certainly outside the box of what I thought I could be doing uh, professionally or even even with the certification that uh, that they have offered and that I was able to complete. So Dr. Jean, welcome to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. <laughs> David, thank you so much. <laughs> I'm so pleased to be here and um, be part of what you gentlemen are doing and offering to the world. Thank well, you. <laughs> yeah, it's great to have you. It seems like maybe these travel restrictions have worked to our advantage right now. You, you are a, you're a moving target. You are a very active person <laughs> traveling around the globe. Now you're sheltering in place and we can, you, you've got a little time. You can sit with us and, and have a conversation. <laughs> you know what? I, I, I did not mind hearing that several trips were not going to take place. I didn't realize <laughs> uh, what sheltering in place might mean for my husband and myself. So. <laughs> You tr- it is true for many of Yeah. Others. Now, are you adjusting? If I can just ask a personal question, are you guys adjusting to the new normal? Well, I have to tell you that um, the new normal for us actually happened after the uh, financial crisis in 2008. Um, you know, we've been training people, um, people that want to do this work, you know, since 19, gosh, 96, 93, wow. actually. And um, we had we were training so many people through uh, distance education and staff development and um, like in rescue missions or teen challenge and recovery houses. And all of a sudden, in um, two weeks, we lost everybody because so many people in Florida or around the world were were now falling through the cracks. Right. They couldn't mm. pay their mortgage. They couldn't feed their families. And that's who our recovery you know, coaches go out and take care of. And mm. we lost everything. I mean, we the school almost shut down and we shifted to online in 09 after a lot of trauma. And, yeah. and here we are wow. now, wow. you know, 10 years later, and, uh, it's happening. I am so grateful that <laughs> in this age, these uh, online connections are possible. Uh, they're key for the Samson Society as well. We made the jump to online meetings two years ago. And now when, you know, those f- hundreds of face-to-face meetings can't happen, the, the uh, chance for people still to connect online. Yeah. And yeah. who would have thought we could be so personal online and so connected? Yeah. That was something I grieved about in 09 when we, started, you know, we're putting courses online and I thought, who can learn this way? No one, you know, we have to really 
be in the same room and share, you know, Uh, just like people now who are, are not able to go to their face-to-face support groups, finding in the rooms and finding on Slack and that, my goodness, on Zoom, I can see my brother and my sister and hear them and feel with them. And so, well, you know, one of the things I'm discovering is that disruption really forces us to be innovative and, Mm -hmm. Um, and you know, even though it's painful, we, and we may not do things the same way, um, you know, post disruption as we did pre disruption, um, we've had to think outside the box in order to, uh, you know, get our, uh, messages out, our goals accomplished, vocational things. So yeah, I think, you know, it may all together be, you know, as painful as it is, um, there may be some good that comes from it. And, you know, one of the things are things we're doing um, like today. So, David, that is so true. Um, But, you know, when people are in trauma, um, telling them all this good stuff is going to happen. I mean, (laughs) oh, yeah. No, don't hear me saying that. (laughs) But no, but we really want your listeners to hear that in the sense that it's happening to all of us, you know, all of our neighbors, all of our family. You know, our co-workers, our, our, our sponsors, you know, our doctors, it's happening at the same time. And that builds a sense of community, like what you're doing here. You do have a community. So we can say to, to someone, I have a belief that it it'll, we'll be better together. Let's, right. let's hold hands. And so that's what I mean. When it happened to us at, in 09, it happened across the culture, you know, mm-hmm. going down the tubes. And that's what makes that miracle of creativity um you know it gives us that that hope that it can happen right well dr gene uh, let's go back pre-09 and um (laughs) you know what's your recovery background that allowed you to uh even consider taking on something like what you have um to offer people now today with the school and so on where did where did this um, begin Really, it's um, it's those finding out um, that I do come from three generations of um, intelligent, highly educated women who married intelligent, uh, gifted, and actually wealthy men who um, became began their careers, you know, as alcoholics. And uh-huh. I learned that in my own recovery. I had no idea because. As you know, addiction is a disease of silence, and that is driven by stigma and shame. I didn't even realize that I was acting out a story that my grandmother went through or my mother. Can you imagine that? They never shared it with me. So uh, that's what recovery meant to me. But for, for me and my husband, um, we were really part of the counterculture in every sense of the word after we met in 1968 and um, shot speed and lived on a commune and uh, really dropped out after the trauma, you know, of, of, you know, three assassinations of our heroes, that whole shift in the war of Vietnam. And um, but in, in that time in counterculture and people experience that now. You don't know who can stop drinking. We all drank and party down, right? It's like people right. binge now. 
but I'm sure you found that, it, that maybe you were the one who couldn't stop drinking, but I had no idea that maybe, I mean, I could stop drinking or using or smoking or whatever, but you didn't know which of your you know, dear friends could not. And that was really our story. Well, um, I didn't know <laughs> Charles mm-hmm. was an alcoholic and also yeah. clinically depressed. So um, my journey began there, saving our our lives, really, and our family. Yeah. Wow. So uh, you had a, I, I'm assuming you had a, did you have a sponsor in early recovery? And then did you move to becoming a sponsor yourself? What was the progression that led you into this life of service? Uh, very good question. Um, in uh, it was really 1988. So from 68 to 98, you know, we uh, you know had a, a lovely little baby and needed to come off of the mountain in uh, Madison County, North Carolina, on the back of the backside mm. of the wow. Rocky Top. You know, you guys are um, up there in, in in Appalachia. You know, sure, yeah. <laughs> So you know how many hippies were up there. You know, I mean, that was our our, our happy place. Mm-hmm. But coming down uh, to Daytona Beach, where my husband's family was, and uh, to be able to pay for our, our 50 acres and log cabin that we were building, uh, we made a transition into real, real, um, you know, work and, and making money. But no one believed me over the, over time that he was uh, drinking too much because he was by that point um, running the hotel company, had six cocktail lounges, was president of the Chamber of Commerce. Mm-hmm. And I was, you know, had started Montessori school. So we were pillars, you know, in our church and our community, um, on newspapers. And, you know, we were out there. And when I would try to get the courage to tell somebody how much Charles drank every night, the vodka. No one believed me. And so I was, um, uh, I thought I was the crazy one who couldn't adapt. And that's why it was, a, it was actually a, a friend who had that kind of the same kind of experience. They were so out there and accomplished. No one believed the problems they were living with. And someone gave me a book on codependency. Uh-huh. And, um, I, I love pro-dependence. I love it. Mm-hmm. And, but there are many ways to find out that you are not crazy <laughs> and one is, to, is to find out what this word actually meant in those days. And so that began for me, um, seeking in the dark and in the quiet, creeping to the treatment center where they had a family program that I could learn why I wasn't insane, um, that I was reacting to trauma in a very normal way. Mm-hmm. So. To answer your question, um, I mean, it took a while before uh, I had to change before um, uh, my husband could change. And that's very uh, common. You know, I, I was such a massive support system. Every addict needs a, a huge support system to maintain their using, correct? And um, uh, mm. I could not yeah, find sure. yeah, yeah, yeah. anyone in Al-Anon who thought I was worth listening to. And I just have to say this now, when you're high functioning, no one believes you. And Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if that's part of your story, but 
when I would go to different Al-Anon because that's what everybody said at that treatment center after I took the eight-week training on on addiction and family Mm -hmm. systems, right? They would say, they would look at me with such contempt, you know, does he beat you? Does he pay the bills? You know, do you have a car? It's like, what are you doing here? And I was shamed in the rooms. And uh, Mm. I didn't have the bad Mm -hmm. story. And I mean, it, in time, it led to all of that. But when I was wow. looking for help, wow. Wow. And so um, my church certainly yeah, isn't didn't that ironic we were, that you know, uh, we kind of have this view. So that, I just did what uh, the book said. I got you know, a workbook. The addict is know? the guy who is. And I just started journaling. Who is completely And I just started up. writing things and grieving and taking what I learned, you know, about families and systems. And um, it, I really had a personal recovery. But I mean, I don't recommend that, but that was what I was. I was isolated because I was high functioning and unbelievable. And so um, it was actually um, truly what happened was uh, we ended up losing everything, everything, home, car, standing jobs and and ended up in a street um, ministry feeding the homeless and being almost homeless. And they had a trip they were scheduling to Russia, which was my background in political science and history. And I had a minor in Soviet history. And um, I sold everything I had at that point to go. And that's where people began to welcome what I knew and what I understood. And I trained all over Russia until 1998. I would spend um, weeks and months at a time, um, training at government levels and professional levels and in the growing, um, Christian community that was handling it. But I would come back, you know, home and just sit there and try to keep our family together before Charles got into recovery. So who would have thought, you know, (laughs) there's always somebody who wants to hear your story and what you know. There's so much wisdom in recovery. So that's how it happened. Somebody in Russia told me about a men's program in Florida that had been there forever that they had visited. And they told me about, it's called Dunklin Camp. Oh, I know Dunklin. Oh, what a great place, Dunklin. (laughs) Oh, I love that place. Yeah. So. Guess what? I showed up there. Um, mm-hmm. I figured out how to get there. They have every two months a meeting for people that do recovery work. And um, there were about 120 people there. The time I got down there, it was a two hour drive. There were maybe five women in the room and me. Mm-hmm. And um, um, I just, I had never seen so many people serving. I mean, I'd known recovery people, but people that were actually, you know, hands on with the, on the streets and in recovery houses and with domestic violence and in the jails. And they weren't government people. Right. I mean, they were just people in recovery who were called to do the work. And, yeah. Yeah. and at one point they said, if you're if you're new here today, stand up. You know, it's a cowboy. It's cowboy country down there. Yeah, it's out in the Everglades. Yeah, <laughs> plenty of ex-cons and you know, <laughs> and cowboys and robbers and stealers and you know, 
Marines. It was amazing. And I stood up and I just, I didn't mean to say it. I just meant to kind of just say hello, thank everybody, and sit down. And all I could look to see was these people had somehow found a way to take their recovery and, uh, and, and be uh, of that mindset to run towards the front lines, wherever that, that happened to be in their world and make a difference. And I kept saying, I need you to come to Russia. Nobody, I mean, there's millions of people dying in Russia and no one knows what to do. Will you come with me to Russia? And mm. Mickey Evans said, come up here, daughter. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's how it started. You know how brother yeah. Mickey is, you know, the old cowboy. Welcome home, daughter. You know, and he said, yeah. who wants to go to Russia? You know, people started standing up. <laughs> wow. That's how it happened. Wow. I took the team to Russia and I came back and he said, daughter, how about putting together some training here for the camp, you know, for the net and uh, a few courses. I went, well, that's easy. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and it turned into the net training institute. And the rest is history. <laughs> wow. So, pretty cool, huh? And Charles Very got cool. into recovery, took him down to Dunklin. He looked around and said, huh. If this group of guys thinks my husband, I mean, my wife has something to say, you know, or yeah, yeah. maybe, uh, maybe, uh, you know, it's like maybe it is worth doing, getting in recovery. Do you know what I mean? You know, the terror and the fear, you know, when you're oh, yeah. still negotiating, can I live without alcohol, yeah. you know, more than 48 hours? Yeah. I mean, it's terrifying. And if you right. have a mental illness and you're co occurring, it's not safe. Right. So that's really, I mean, they just put their arms around him and said, welcome home, Charles. Yeah. And, and again, he didn't go through the program, but it, it, it began that, you know, we'd lost everything. It did, you know, so we moved to Titusville and lived in somebody's back bedroom on the floor and started the NAT Institute. Wow. That's, wow. So that's wow. really, we started at the bottom. But that, and now that's, look at it. <laughs> yeah, that's believing in your message right there. <laughs> For sure. Oh man. So so today you are a resource, uh, highly regarded expert called upon by the UN, working in multiple countries, Christian countries, Muslim countries. Um yeah, how does this look, for example, in Egypt, where I know you've done a lot of work? Well, um, uh, there are now um, 60 programs that did not exist before um, uh, NET Institute uh, partnered with a powerful uh, strategic partner there who was, um, uh, who is uh, a professional in his field and again, got kind of drawn in against his will, you know, to dealing with heroin addicts. And someone, again, connected us. And I went there in 97 and said, hey, you know, I can help you do this. And uh, we started a network. It's called Isaac, International Substance Abuse and Addiction Coalition, it was birthed in 97. Again, Charles and I and Ned Institute and, you know, um, 
people from all over the world that were doing this work came together to encourage one another, mm-hmm. um, you know, outside of government, but, you know, nonprofits and uh, faith-based right. organizations. And so we put this together and um, Dr. Ihab el Harat said, come to Egypt, we need help. And that's the way it happened. And he was the one who helped get 12 steps there. Um, and so I've been with the, the pioneers in Egypt since 97, who uh, Muslims who began that movement there. And by starting a school, just what we've done here, and like David mentioned, there are people in recovery who want to do more, who want to be trained. And in Egypt, they wanted certified addiction counselors. So I was able to bring that because we have, you know, we trained in NADAC standards and ICNRC standards. And of those um, men and like four women, right, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. who were in the program, you know, hundreds of people together, we've trained 15,000 people to UN standards and across 13 Arab nations because it's the training piece. It's the credentialing piece. It's the standards piece that takes the potent, the potential of people who are addiction aware and recovery minded and Mm -hmm. ready to do something uh, bigger, but they don't know what that is until they've seen it, heard it, and um, we lay it out what that represents. So yeah, um, yeah. Same in Russia. We trained five thousand people in Russia. You know, wow. from from ninety three to ninety eight teams and um, a, a different model altogether. Though you know, uh, of peer support and um, uh, and working alongside you know the the um, credentialed. Uh, clinical community. So it depends on what's happening on the ground there. Same in Bermuda, same in Pakistan. You know, so I go in or I'm invited or I, it's my privilege to be there. And oh, how things, when you know what people want and you have a, a, a dynamic partner on the ground, anything's possible. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. 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 Well, Dr. Jean, let's talk about the NET Institute um, and the program. Why is your strategy of combining addiction recovery with, you know, professional coaching so important for people in recovery? Okay. Well, you know, as I said, you know, starting to train people that were already running things, doing things, hands-on, you know, front line, mm-hmm. doing it. Um I made a decision early on, and again with one of the other uh, real co-founders, Tom Sled, who is a certified addiction professional, that anything we did must meet the standards that um, that are out there. You know, for like NADAC, for the the counselors will know what that means, or um, to be a certified. a professional addiction counselor, whether it's in you know Tennessee or Kentucky or Georgia or New York or whatever, mm-hmm. so that people leave with their recovery um, macho, if you will, and the and but they understand what the profession is doing and what assessment is, and it makes them safe. They hear about ethics, so we did that. I mean, nonstop around the world, governments you know um, honored what we did because of what an external standard. 
So at the after '09 and things began to to change uh, and, and shift around the addiction world, by 2013, 2014, I was just realizing um, uh, there had to be something else to, uh, to to how can I say it to use the the vibrant potential of addiction aware and recovery minded people, whether it's from their own story, their family member's story, it might be a counselor or a medical person, or um, there's such potential uh, here around us to, to transform lives. What was the other modality besides the clinical standard and, and skills? Mm-hmm. And that turned out to be professional coaching and uh, short story. When the after Charles and I were studying, you know, running running the net, and he was the, the director and admin. After '09, he had to go to work in a prison program as a drug counselor, and he loved it, loved it, passionate. But he wanted something fresh to do with the men. You can only do group so long with people that are shut up in a group, you know, in prison. <laughs> I said, well, somebody said, uh, this book on coaching, here's some questions, try it out. And he came back literally, gentlemen, in five days. And he said, oh my gosh, I need more of these. Men responded to this. You could see their eyes looking beyond the, the face. And if you know about prison and jail, you have to keep a game face on no matter what. When, you right. Know, even in 12 steps. And he said, men came a lot. Some of the most hardcore men um, leaned forward. You could see their, their, their self leaning forward. And that's what coaching uh, does. You know, can, you, can you get that picture? Wow. <laughs> and we began to look for how to get him trained as a coach and found something that he could do. Um, and you know, add that credential and things began to change and pop. And I thought, what would that be like? Uh, Cause we know addiction recovery, you know, we've, we've done that. And right. but people that have come to us, 99% have a, have a deep experiential base and, and passion, but you know, about coaching. Um, again, we found the ICF, the international coach federation, that they do set, they're the gold standard in professional coaching. And wow. um, what what do they say? What's that? You know, um, we we approach them on aligning our training with their standards. And uh, it, it was, again, it was the winner, you know, because we could aim people towards credentials and credibility and a standard so that they would understand what it means to be a professional coach. So, wow. Uh, well, help our listeners. Going on your story. You're going yeah. to, you know, you're, you're going in a, in a direction that's already been uh, uh, set in place with, with success. Right. And, and can you help our listeners understand Dr. Jean, the purpose of a professional coach, a professional recovery coach? Sure. Well, uh, you know, I, Again, finding that standard. So what did they say a coach is? You know, mm-hmm. and I love their definition. And those of us in recovery, I mean, it just flows with us because especially as a sponsor, you know, what do you do? You walk along someone else in this journey so they're not alone. You know, yeah. um, 
and and, mm-hmm. and you're you're an encourager and all of these things. So what does the ICF say in coaches? They define it as partnering with clients in a thought-provoking and creative process. Are we up for that? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Partnering for, for, for being thought-provoking and creative. And, and this process will inspire people to maximize their personal and their professional potential. Hmm. Is that not what we do, right? Yeah, we inspire right. change. And I thought, we can do that. And sometimes the roles change. You're a, you know, you're a champion, you're a resource person, you're an educator. Um, but what we find that it does actually um, for, for people who've been drawn to this idea of coaching um, rather than the counseling or moving beyond the sponsor role or, you know, the pastoral role is that um, it opens them up to potential they never knew they had. Mm. Yeah. Um, David, if I could just ask you a question. Now, yeah. uh, you made a career transition. How long has it been since you made the, 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 the move, the big move? You were in one career for uh, have, 20 years. Yeah. I have uh, been in uh, private practice almost three years. Mm. Wow. Yeah. All right. And when you were when you were ready to make the move, you went looking for training. Right. And somehow you wound up connected to Dr. Gene. Right. And then uh, uh, you did the train. How did that how did that work for you? Uh, were there any roadblocks that you encountered? Anything serendipitous that happened during that transition? What was that like for you? That was a, because it um, uh, had to have been scary. Oh, to jump from one horse to another. Yeah. And to I follow mean, your passion. <laughs> right? yeah, it wasn't it wasn't that I didn't know there were, um, you know, uh, alcoholic people in the world who needed help. It was just <laughs> it was just that I wasn't sure that I could make a living doing it. Uh, you know, just at the bottom, bottom line. Um, can you you know, can you do that? And so I found the program and what I realized was it was a great fit for me because you can on you can do the studies online of course and you can pace yourself through it um i was wrapping up another career while i was pursuing this one um it was um a program that was much more practical for me at my age and stage in life i wasn't going to go back and spend fifty thousand dollars on another master's degree uh, somewhere, you know, and then, and then, you know, take three years to do that and then try to go into, you know, paying off, uh, spending the rest of my working life, paying off my student loan or something, you know, and, um, but what it did was it opened up an opportunity for me to, um, get a certification that, you know, staying in my lane with this population of people, um, I could be helpful and I could be much more equipped and educated than just um, uh, had I uh, tried to do, to do something, you know, without this kind of uh, certification and, and training, because it's so important to know. And, and, the one, and one of the things I like about Dr. Gene's program is it's a very diverse 
uh, type of training. You're going to talk about family dynamics and brain science and, and um, the chemistry of, of addiction, as well as all these other things that go into working with people that, um, you know, have a substance use disorder or belief that they can't um, live without a particular behavior. And, um, so it, it, it just dovetailed in really well for me. And then I had a really, you know, great opportunity with, uh, joining a counseling group that was already, uh, pulling itself together and taking out a lease in Brentwood. And they had one office left and, um, I had really no clients other than maybe two people at the time. And I said, well, you know, this is a great opportunity. I appreciate you inviting me, but I don't have any any clients. <laughs> and, uh, I don't think I can afford the, my part of the lease, you know? And so, uh, ultimately, uh, my friend KK, who's been on the program a number of times said, I believe that if you, uh, let people know and you network in the right way and you let the treatment centers know that you're here, um, you'll be busy. And sure enough, you know, I'm seeing, you know, five, six, seven people a day now, And, um, and that is, um, you know, along with getting the opportunity to write and do some web work and blog and Dr. Gene is affiliated with a a great magazine, um, recovery today. And, Mm -hmm. um, I've done some articles for them and it's just been a great opportunity for me to grow and learn and, and be a part of a network of people who share experience. So that's kind of how it all came together. But but I, I loved the idea of people maybe being able to explore using this time uh, that is what we otherwise call downtime uh, in this uh, isolation that we're all experiencing uh, to possibly pursue something uh, for themselves that um, that matches their experience and their uh, their background if they have this uh, background in in recovery and they can make a living, uh, doing, doing some great work. So that's, that's really how it just kind of, you know, the nutshell version, so to speak. Well, that's kind of, it seems to me kind of like the two edged sword of this lockdown time. Those of us who are in recovery, uh, it's an opportunity for us to really look more deeply, get more training, uh, and thank God still connect via the internet and, uh, maintain our relationships in a way that wouldn't have been possible earlier. At the same time, I'm well aware that there are a lot of people out there who are going deeper and deeper into the rabbit hole right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, alcohol sales are up 55 to 75%. Uh, Pornhub is uh, recording, you know, is reporting, you know, record traffic up uh, 75%. Um more and more people are going to be needing our help. And now we have an opportunity to train. Wow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It is so neat. So uh, all of this was uh, – you were able to get the training, David, mm-hmm. uh, that, you, that you needed uh, and earn the certification uh, without uh, traveling, going somewhere, sitting in a classroom. You did it all online. Yeah, yeah, sure did. Now I've gone to other, you know, of course, uh, training conferences and 
summits and <laughs> all kinds of things, sure, you know, right. to continue my opportunities. But but to the to the point of Dr. Gene's program, it is very doable. Um, mm-hmm. It is very doable. And, uh, I, and I loved the idea that, you know, especially as I was working at the time in other, uh, areas, I, I could, um, I could pace myself at the point that I could, that I could do the program. Oh, nice. Nice. So well, Dr. Jean, if, if, let me, oh, sorry, let me just jump in, uh, jump in here right quick. Um, um, because I want to follow up on um, you know, when I when I knew you know thousands of people were going home you know mm-hmm. um, to work and it, we know about addiction and right. um, I, I just want to quick share with your listeners you know there are really four things that you need to be aware of right now if you're you know you're a recovery audience and I it's it's the acronym for bait you know boredom. You know, be careful because, you know, that's an excuse to, to use, you know, and, and that right. boredom is a cover. Um, the, the a can stand for anxiety, right? Anger being, a, you know, that's it, it's really important to, you know, don't get bored. You know, deal with your anxiety. I is isolation, which is the, the key to remote working for many, many people. And, you know, if you can get isolated, you can relapse. So. Um, yeah. Uh, there, do those things, practice your work, get online, go to the rooms, and T is for trigger. Um, things changing, um, all the all the uh, confusion and backbiting and chaos that's in the media. These can trigger people. I'm out of control. I, something's bad is going to happen. But bait, be aware of, of your of boredom, anxiety, isolation, and your triggers. And mm. how do you counter that? It's with uh, a cup of gratitude and a piece of pie. Uh, gratitude and a piece of pie, okay? <laughs> uh-huh. so let me tell you what pie is, okay? <laughs> that P stands okay. for pause. I mean, it's like stop. You know, remember halt, you know, pause, yeah. reset. I mean, just like, whoa, whoa, I'm here, I'm now, okay? Today is this date. This time, this morning, it's what time is it on my watch? What is it on the calendar? I'm here. I'm not going out to see that my, you know, all the, you know, how fear takes you out there. Here, you're fine. You've got food, right? (laughs) Uh, I is um, inhale. You will. Yeah. When we inhale, we change our nervous system from fright or flight to rest and digest. You know, do Mm. that a few times. It's a neurological um, certainty, but you have to stop and do it. It will change. It will lower your anxiety. And mm-hmm. E is express. So pause, inhale, and express. For me, I had to do it in a journal because no one believed me, right? <laughs> yeah. So, but it can be you get those emotions out, call your sponsor, you know, email, you know, find only to safe people, express safely. But I tell you, you know, you can counter that bait that leads to relapse with a cup of gratitude and a piece of pie. And oh, you, that's wonderful. you all are doing so much to help people. And to David's point, we would love to be of use to people. Um, you know, I've got a website and an email because I want to wrap it up and just let people know it, 
there is something for you beyond your wildest expectations and perhaps the limitations that your recovery experience has, you know, has set around you that you don't even know. Mm-hmm. But you, like David said, he had no idea that he would be, you know, part of a, um, a clinical practice as a well, you know, respected um, team member. We have people with um, in recovery with high school educations who've come through our program. They have a place. You you just don't know where you're going to be. Um, I can tell you story after story of where our graduates are that we just marvel at. And so um, it's a time. You're resilient. You're full of strength. You're full of hope. You know how the program works. And there, there are other ways now that it can unfold in your life and impact, you know, thousands of people in a new way. Yeah. Well, what's the website that uh, any listener who's interested should go to? Uh, it's pretty easy. Recoverycoachtraining.com. All right. All right. And there's a mm-hmm. there's a free ebook there too, isn't there? Yeah. Right on the homepage, you'll see a little video of me um, just welcoming you to the page. And you can just um, put in your name and email, first name, or and just download it into to find out, you know, the 10 reasons why <laughs> that this is that this is a powerful career for people. And, um, and you'll be part of a community. You know, we have a closed group community, as David said, and we support each other, you know, beyond what we're doing here. But discover the top 10 reasons professional recovery coaching is attracting um, so many people. So, yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us, Dr. Gene. It has been a joy uh, to hear you. Absolutely. Uh, Likewise. I love what you're doing. If I can be of help to you in any way, please let me know. (laughs) Yeah, likewise. All right. We absolutely will. Dr. Gene, thank you so much. And thank you for all you're doing and the opportunity you're giving uh, so many people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> You're All right. very welcome. <laughs> Take care, guys. All right. You too. God bless. <laughs> Listeners, stay with us. We'll be back in just a moment on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. Welcome back to the Positive Sobriety Podcast. And Nate, uh, the conversation with Dr. Gene was really helpful today. And I hope that it uh, encouraged our listeners to think about what they can uh, explore in this downtime, so to speak, this time of isolation. And I really appreciated her bringing us um, kind of to a, a challenging conclusion with ways we can think about not relapsing in this time of isolation. Yeah, it's uh, it's none of us are immune from the threat of relapse. And uh, I, I loved I loved her advice. Uh, you know, watch for the bait, and have a cup of gratitude and a big piece of pie. Yeah, and I and I realized that the pie she was talking about was not like the pie that I have been eating <laughs> <laughs> throughout this <That's> disappointing. <laughs> this this pandemic is going to be. Um, I am going to have to find a much better creative way to uh, get my exercise in because I'm going to be a, a candidate for, um, you know, <laughs> I don't know what. Have you uh, been, have you been exercise? You've been doing forklifts. Have you really? 
yeah, yeah, I have. Uh-huh. Okay, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And, and uh, you know, uh, probably more times a day than I want to admit. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah, yeah, me too. I, it's this stress eating is uh, something I've really got to keep an eye on. Yeah. Because I can go unconscious and then just... Uh, it's, it seems like, you know, a fairly safe way to medicate, a, f- a way to find some comfort. And I suppose I've done far more dangerous things in my life. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I do need to keep an eye, yeah. especially on what I'm, what I'm eating. I've, I've tried to uh, think of it as harm management or, or something, but it's really, <laughs> that's, that's really a lot of BS. But, um, but you know, honestly, it was great uh, with having Dr. Gene here to just talk about the fact that, you know, boredom, anger, isolation, uh, triggers, um, you know, we've got to, uh, we've got to keep those in mind, no matter whether we're on the, the coaching end of this or the, yeah. um, the other side of early recovery, uh, cause we're all prone and, and sitting ducks for, uh, a relapse. So. And thank you for introducing us to, to, uh, to Dr. Jean. I got to tell you, I, I, she has such a warm and nurturing presence. Doesn't she? Uh, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I wasn't able to see her. We don't have video. Uh, we're far away. Wasn't in the same room with her. I had to, I just had this deep urge to give her a hug. She yeah. just is that kind of a person, I guess. Yes. Very soothing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, before we go, let's remind our listeners that we would love to hear from them. Any suggestions, any feedback you'd like to send, uh, you can reach us at positive sobriety podcast at gmail.com. Yeah, absolutely. We love to hear from you. All right. And we will continue, uh, these weekly conversations, uh, and and do us the favor, by the way, of give us a rating on, uh, on, the. On the I, I, wherever it is you get your podcast, that helps to increase our visibility. And uh, recommend us to friends if you enjoy the show. So until next time, I'm Nate. I'm David. And we are your pals on the Positive Sobriety Podcast. The Positive Sobriety Podcast is recorded at Crossroads for the Nations in Brentwood, Tennessee. Live producer Rex Schnelli, music by Rex Schnelli, theme music by Matt Ulrich. Uh, Hair and Makeup by Lyle Lovett, uh, Wardrobe (laughs) by Kathy Gifford.